0: Welcome to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose Podcast, guiding families to find the right college fit, helping students in the college search process while exploring God's purpose for their lives.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm Phil Cook, your host, and we're so pleased to have a very special guest with us today, Jen Henson, aka The Gold Digger. Jen is a nationally sought-after test prep expert specializing in the ACT test. Jen, who was an Ohio Teacher of the Year in 2014, holds a master of education degree with a bachelor's in English from Xavier University where she completed, or she competed rather, as a Division 1 varsity tennis player. For more than two decades, she has been a decorated teacher and ACT prep coach. Today, she speaks to educators, parents, and students, and has an army of teachers trained to assist her requests for tutorials. Her former ACT students now attend notable higher learning institutions, including Notre Dame, The Ohio State University, Texas A&M, The Naval Academy, Dartmouth, Columbia, Miami University, and the University of Kentucky, among others. We're so pleased to have Jen Henson with us here today. Jen, welcome to our show.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here.
1: That's a long list of of schools. That's a great list. Congratulations on that.
0: Thank you, thank you. I when I was in my classroom, I had banners all around my classroom for all of these schools, and um, I haven't let go of them because they're so special to me. But it, you know, you kind of you hate to have a favorite, right? It's like children; yeah. you hate to have a favorite. So That's I had right. to
1: pick some. for Got the them list. all. I'm glad. it's a great list, so it certainly gets attention. And and uh, as someone who's been very involved in all aspects of testing becoming of, and it's very hot topic in the news today, as you know, Um, it feels like it's hard to keep up with all the latest news, but what are some of of the latest changes uh, pertaining to testing that our parents and prospective students should know about?
0: The latest announcement came from the SAT, which is the, the test that's run by College Board. And they announced less than two weeks ago that starting in 2024, they were moving to an all digital platform um, that was a huge announcement, I and mean, I was able to do a lot of research on that before I, you know, relayed that information to the people who follow me on Facebook, especially. That's that's my biggest platform. So that was really interesting to dig into. So they're already that the College Board is already using the digital platform for international students. They've tested it at a school level when they've done in-school testing. And so they're moving to a digital platform and it's going to be an adaptive test. So um, for those listeners who aren't familiar with an adaptive test, it'd be similar to kind of like a choose your own adventure. This question, if you get it right, leads you down this to this next question, if you get that question wrong, you go to this question. And it kind of adapts and it levels out to where the student is performing. So that's also the change they're making that it's not necessarily, or that not every student will have the same exact test. So that's an also an interesting change.
1: That's certainly different than, than what's been in the standard space of this area. And I know, again, your expertise in the ACT area, and we'll talk about that in a second a little bit more. But the, the test has been very much standardized since its inception. Are, are you hearing from families or students? Is there concern about this? What, has there been an initial response to these potential changes? Or, or maybe what do you project might be some of the challenges or, or better or benefits from this change?
0: So one of the 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 college board itself is touting as their lead (laughs) that it's a shorter test. So the test is going to end up about at two hours. Um, And so that's gonna be a shorter test for students, um, which is of course, I think an an, a catching statement or catchy statement for students. Oh, less time to test? Yes, you know, a, a shorter test, yes as with anything with technology, my mind immediately is going to, oh no, what if power surges, power outages, internet, faulty internet. Um, Now the, the College Board has addressed these things, of course. I mean, power outages, you can't i mean you can't address that you can't you can't deal with that but but as far as internet allergies or or wavering internet the the test will stall or will maybe that's not the right word but um, kind of hold steady for the student to pick back up when it when it readies itself there's going to be a a test of sorts for the student to test their technology. So students have to use their own technology for that test, um, which is interesting. Now, the College Board has announced that if students don't have capable technology, that that one will be provided for them. I think that that raises some concerns. I'm not really sure how that's going to work. So there's a test for that. Can that technology, can that computer, iPad, can that handle the test uh, format so there's going to be some sort of test to determine that you know with my experience in education when the state of ohio moved to a computerized assessment wow there were a lot of problems right. so that's where my mind goes immediately you know time delays and things that as an educator my students were ready they were ready to test and then they had to sit and had to wait and Seem like the first time Ohio launched it, there was like this statewide delay. And then, you know, you just, I, I don't see that with a paper test. Here we go, you right. know, we're mailing them to the school. So, but of course, <clears throat> when you talk about that, you hear tales of boxes that didn't arrive, boxes that didn't make it back to the college board or ACT. So, you know, with any format, there are problems. Maybe it's my age showing. I don't know. But the technology part, it just worries me.
1: It's certainly unknown. And I'm, I'm flashing back to my days in Pennsylvania where I grew up and I'm, we go to the school and take the SAT exam. In my former work as a, as a university administrator for many years, I actually wasn't an ACT proctor a couple of times. So will they still go to a location to take it or will they be able to take the exam at any, in any location?
0: That's a great question. So they do have to go to a school, a testing site. So there are universities that that offer the SAT and ACT now. So they will continue to. I'm not sure if schools will be more hesitant to manage the technology side. So that might be a factor. I've brainstormed a little bit with with uh, with folks at the ACT about an online test for the ACT. This was some time ago before the SAT's announcement. And I had a lot more hesitation than good points about an online test. Mm -hmm. So um, yes, they'll be still going to a test site um, to take that test.
1: Great, and because these these are the two pretty much, there's some other folks have come into this marketplace to provide testing, but ACT uh, and College Board, SAT have pretty much uh, dominated the market. ACT hasn't responded yet, right? We haven't heard what their response to this is yet. Have they come out with any kind of official statement, do you know?
0: They have not um, had an official statement. They haven't said any response in terms of we're coming up with an any type of digital test um, they do the, the ACT has a digital format that they use with international students and they've also tried it at a school level so I know schools in Ohio um, specifically in um, other states but I know a school in Ohio specifically that has actually two sorry that have used the online format and hearing from students about their experiences I guess adds to my caution. Uh, devices beeping when the low battery is is happening, or that warning. Um, a student of mine could could kind of hear that around the room. Um, Proctors kind of scurrying, for lack of a better word, to find a um, a charger for the students. So there was some distraction and noise. So, you know, my students who have tried the online format for the tests, they weren't fans. So I'm I'm really interested to see what happens. There have been other announcements from the college testing world that have gone by the wayside. Never came to fruition. So I'm wondering if this too Will kind of, I don't know. I don't see it fading into the woodwork and and, and them doing away with it. But I don't think it's going to go
1: well. Right. Well, and that's that's certainly um, something that's uh, still to be determined. What hasn't yet to be determined is the fact that less and less colleges and universities are requiring scores. Um, so this this when we're sharing this news about the SAT change, that is literally just recently happened. when we step back to the past two years now. Uh, it's different in terms of this landscape. Reports vary, but uh, we, we've read reports as many as eighty percent of four-year colleges are not requiring ACT or SAT submissions this year. That includes all kind of colleges. But uh, why should parents or students still consider taking these standardized tests? What's the benefit to our families to continue taking these exams? Right. You
0: know, one, one thing is that I'm. I want to make sure. Parents and students understand the difference between test blind and test optional. So there's a huge difference between those two terms. Test blind when it, when an institution announces, and I like that word institution. I like that. When an institution announces, we are test blind. That means we are not looking at scores. Do not submit scores. If you submit them, I guess we'll just close our eyes and throw them out. You know, we won't <laughs> right. even. We, we they're not even a consideration. A perfect score doesn't help you at all. So it is—it is not a factor in the checklist of factors. As you know, there are there are factors that a school looks at when they're determining acceptances. It's not just one thing. It's not any two things. It's—it's a—it's a checklist. I'm, I imagine a nice checklist anyway. Maybe that's right. not how it works. Yeah. You would know that. But, yeah. but but so that is that factor is out for that institution. Whereas if your test optional. Okay. I think parents here test blind, or that's how they equate the things. But test optional means you don't have to submit. It's not necessary. And that's where that ends. It's not necessary. Now, it still can be something that helps the student, certainly in that the criteria. But there are several reasons, even, you know. So I guess I just want to make sure that people understand test optional and test blind aren't the same thing. So even if a school is test optional, parents and students still might consider sending that score in because it really could still help you in the admissions process. And what we're seeing from test score or I'm sorry, acceptance rates in the last couple of years, some of these schools that that touted themselves as test optional because certainly some students were not able to test. There were parts of the country. Where you could not get a seat for a test. that was a very that is a true statement a, co- a couple of years ago. I' would say this year, this school year, uh, status, you know, back to normal. Right. but so students who were applying last year, certainly some of them might not have been able to test because they they couldn't drive to a place where there was a test. and certainly we shouldn't expect that somebody's going to fly, you know, to go test. so, what the percentages are showing is that so many more students were getting in with scores than without scores. Even when we looked at, here's the percentage who applied with scores, here's the percentage that applied without. Of those two percentages, here are the percentages that got into the school. Right. You know, because I think the notion was, and I'm, you know, X school. Let's just say whatever school X Y Z. Oh, I don't need a score to go there. Ooh, I couldn't get in normally. Yeah. But boy, now I have a chance. Right. <laughs> so, no, maybe you still don't have that same <laughs> chance. Maybe not. But maybe there was hope, right? Right. right. Um, and you know, if it, so, if and let's say, you know, shamefully, maybe even you know, you applied, kind of knowing I don't have a chance, but it's still you know exciting. Oh, maybe I will get into that school. But when we talk about test scores, they're still necessary for certain majors. So even within the test optional realm you might get into a school but you're not on the track for your major that you want and we see that a lot of times especially with the stem majors yes. that you know such as nursing the biological sciences and stuff they need to see those math and science scores or they want to see them from students and maybe even they're looking for a certain english score you know i don't know but there's a there are some standards set for those of course scholarship money a lot of these schools that might have test optional as their de- designation are still requiring those scores for scholarships, especially merit money. You know, so merit money, one thing that really your listeners need to understand is that those, the merit money is not linked at all to family income. So there's a chart, usually includes GPA, usually includes a test score. Some don't, some don't, of course, now. And then that gpa plus that test score produces automatically for every student that meets that criteria and applies to that school within a a deadline they get that money automatically off the tuition so i almost see it as a coupon (laughs) of sorts so that that's merit scholarships of course, students who are looking to play scholastically at the next level, if they're looking at an institution that's NCAA, Division One and 2 there are standards for those. And I know you're going to be talking about that later with another guest, but you know, I want to bring that up, NCAA regulations. As of right now, and I will say this in case people listen before you have the other guest on, but as of right now, the um, NCAA has only said that 2022s And before, so 2021s also did not have to have their test score minimum. They have not voted on 2023s as of now. So we're mid-February now. They're going to be voting sometime in February for the 2023 graduates and beyond. I don't know what that decision is going to be. But but as of right now, if you have a 2023 student or younger, they need test scores to, to be safe. And... That test score could just simply set you apart from another applicant. So especially if your student is showing a strong score or a good score, it could be something that leans in their favor when they're applying.
1: It's very, very helpful. So the students and families that are considering whether or not I should take this, the clarification is need or test blind or test optional, very important consideration that I hope you think about, but in particular athletics, May academic majors, and then merit scholarship. I wanna dig in a little bit, coming from the college university side for a few years, merit aid has been kind of thrown on its ear a little bit from my perspective, because so much of, uh, not so much, but uh, much of the merit scholarships were awarded by ACT or SAT. Have you heard from parents? Is there kind of some, some concern that they may be limiting in terms of the merit aid in particular, or has it been more of an opening up an opportunity to maybe consider other factors if I don't test so well on one of these exams? What have you been hearing about families in, in regard to merit aid regarding test optional?
0: Right, no, that's a good question. So the concern that I'm hearing from parents is if we, so if we just have that GPA on that chart, there is there are more students to spread that money to because- so many students are able to qualify for those, those awards based on GPA, which is a whole other discussion, I think, for another day. <laughs> but so where is that money going to go? Because now we're spreading that money to so many more students. So that test score before was a way for, for family to set themselves apart. Like, right. Well, here, I can qualify now because not everybody can reach that test score.
1: Well, that's, that's what certainly happened in my experience of the schools. And we hear from some of our members in that regard they've had to kind of adjust the way they're making awards.
0: You're listening to the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast.
1: You are uh, so helpful to talk about the uh, framing, the SAT changes, and your 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 expertise or years of service have been in ACT. Uh, a listener may be out there wondering, well, what's the difference between the two? How, how, how are they different? How are they similar? What not knowledge do you have about the, I mean, I've seen charts about this and everything, but what are the differences between the ACT and SAT?
0: So I've created a chart. As well. And so that's something that when we talk later about how people might be able to contact me, they can go on my website and they can see that chart that they might reference. There's obviously more. Well, I have lots of more boxes than what I'll talk about in the next couple of minutes because I don't think I want to go over every single difference. Cause um, for some of them, it's just the amount of time you have per question or, right. or maybe the question numbers, which is kind of like a potato potato. The you know, the thing I always say to start this. The answer to your question is well, you know, it's really like someone asking you what the difference between Coke and Pepsi is. You know, you might say, well, I mean, I like this one better, but you know, when you start to describe the differences, you realize there's so many things that are similar to them that it's hard to describe the differences. You know, of course, if we take that whole digital factor out. Right. So in a couple of years there'll be a big difference between the two. And then the adaptive factor. So as of right now, the tests are very similar. However, the ACT is based on four scores. So it's an average of your English, math, reading, and science. The science is is a a section that tends to kind of, I say, scare people or scare students. I've I've worked with a lot of families kind of in a general discussion about, well, which one is better for my child? And the child will start, well, I don't want to take science. Okay, well, what I answer to that is, I really wish that we would change the heading or the title of that to reading part two, Mm -hmm. because it really is just a a reading and science reasoning test versus having to come into the test with like you've prepared for an AP physics quiz or something. There, There aren't lots of things that you study to prepare for that science section. The ACT does have all multiple choice throughout their test. As of right now, the SAT has on the math fill-in sections where there are not multiple choice answers, but rather there are grids and a student provides the numbers as their answer and then you know fills in the bubbles under that. So it's not a multiple choice. The SAT also has sections of the math where you cannot use a calculator. On the ACT, you may use a calculator the entire time. One thing important for your listeners to Google the prohibited calculators for both tests, just to make sure you're taking a calculator that is allowed. I will also add, if I can, please take a calculator that you're used to using, not just, ooh, this is a great one I heard, Mm -hmm. buy it the night before, take it into the test. I always say this, I could borrow Serena Williams tennis racket, <laughs> I would not play tennis no. like Serena Williams.
1: No way, no so, one would, no one would. <laughs> I
0: know, if so I would borrow her racket all the time, right? Yeah. Um, so those are two big differences. Personally, I I don't prep for the SAT because I find that the reading section, I don't like how it's laid out on the SAT, you can't see the passage and some of the questions at the same time. You have to flip the page and look on different pages. And I find that as problematic in terms of students answering questions proficiently. So that's why I personally and I stick with the ACT for prep.
1: Excellent, very, very helpful. Uh, Again, if you're just joining us, we're here with the gold digger, Jen Henson. We're so glad she is here. She is a nationally sought after test. Prep expert, and just made a reference to we were talking about the ACT and SAT comparisons, and Coke versus Pepsi. Being a Yankee myself, and now being back in the north north ish, people have Pepsi everywhere. Here. But my my wife, who's an Atlanta, Georgia girl, there's no doubt she's a Coke girl. You know, there's no doubt there's 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 a big difference. But yeah, I wonder if over the years, Jen, if you've been um, asked, should a student take both ACT and SAT? Is it dependent on the school? Is it dependent on the individual? How do you answer the question to the mom that says? Should I make my daughter take both the ACT and SAT?
0: That's a great question. So, you know, and I can speak from personal experience with this. You know, some students just do better on one or the other. So I took both when I was in school. My ACT score was able to earn. And, you know, we took them once back in our day. That's right. right? Me too. And I'm going to include you in that, <laughs> right? Or like, the, I don't
1: <laughs> want to stereotype you the, Or, or but Yeah, I'm the same. I'm with you.
0: So you took them once. Yes. I took each of them once. I don't remember which I took first. I don't. I don't know. I wish I knew that now. But but my ACT score was phenomenal. Earned me half off my tuition at Xavier University. I mean, just just based on that, my SAT score. I don't think it would have. I don't think I would have gotten into Xavier with my SAT score. I mean, it was horrible. I don't remember feeling bad that day. I don't remember anything other than it just... I was better suited for the ACT. Now, looking back now, I was a, re- I am a reader. I was an exceptional reader when I was younger. I think the ACT, there's a lot of sections for kind of that reading proficiency. The science is really just reading. The English, I could edit things. So, and I was a good math student, not great but good. So for me, I could knock that one out of the park. Um, so if students have time, you might consider doing one of each. Now, I know that gets problematic for some families We're all busy, you know, they're only offered, well, they're each offered about seven times a year. Does it align with when you're in town? That sort of thing. However, I will, you know, I, I offer families, you know, fa- families will contact me and you can give a test at your house just to see how your student feels about each of them. That's a consideration too. There are released tests. You could give it at your house on a Thursday morning if you wanted to, and just kind of see and go from there. So I I think that parents don't take both or families don't take both just because of the time that it takes. But Mm -hmm. if you can, I don't think it's a bad idea because you just never know.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. That's, that's helpful for our families. And, and thankfully, I think I, I gave the right advice for many years. That's good to know. Uh, you've, had, <laughs> you, you've been at this for 22 years in teaching, that is, and 10 years in uh, test prep tutoring. And you, you alluded to this a little bit, but what are the common ways students struggle with the standardized test? I mean, I've, got some, I've heard stories over the years, but what, what we're, in what ways do students struggle with these standardized tests?
0: You know, for some students, they don't have a lot of experience taking standardized tests. You know, especially students with whom I work who are who might be homeschooled. That some of the experiences that they're going to get in a traditional school setting, they haven't had that experience with testing. You know, some students, they're tested a lot. So for them, it's just, oh, another test. So I think it's the experience of sitting for quite some time, having to answer questions over two or three hour timeframe is something students struggle with. And just even not being familiar with the format You know, I I talk with families and, and we talk about preparation and I say, you know, we would never send our students to the driver's test without practicing driving, you know, so especially that parallel parking, right? I mean, you know, that's what you practice over and over and over and over because you know it's on there. So imagine if if I say to this to students, imagine if you, when you went for your driver's test, didn't know if you were going to be regular driving or NASCAR driving. (laughs) You didn't know. And when you showed up, they told you.
1: It's a big difference, too.
0: That's a big difference. So, you know, when you have to consider that that repetition and things, if they, if they aren't used to taking these tests or at least sitting and thinking for prolonged periods of time, it can be pretty tough. And some of the content they just forget, when I look at the math standards, 24 of the math question types are pre-algebra and algebra 1. When we talk about the ACT numbers, well, many students took pre-algebra 6th and 7th grade. And so, if you're a junior and you're trying to think back to exponent rules and things that you haven't dealt with or even you know absolute value, like what do the lines mean around the numbers? I can't remember that. I haven't seen that in years. It could
1: be tough. I'm getting anxieties here, and you describe that right now. To me, trying to remember, of course, has been a minute for me. But I often, you know, I, I, over the years, I've seen students. that would just get so anxious about it as well. So uh, I would imagine there are ways and techniques to help students do a better job at that. But as you said, uh, practicing even doing it—that's that's a great analogy and good good advice for our listeners. W- what about the timeline? And I, I know the COVID's kind of thrown this a curve with availability. But I'll, as you said, they should be able to get access to it now. What's the perfect scenario for a? I don't know a. a younger or high school student in terms of the timeline of when you should pace out taking these these uh, tests?
0: So when I answer that, I think um, it's really important for, for families to hear that it is based on what math the student is in. So I, I, there's this misconception that everybody takes their first one early junior year and then your second one later junior year. Well, that's not everyone. So My suggestion, best case scenario is when a student is in geometry. And so that typically is going to be 10th grade year. However, one of my children took it in ninth grade. So there's always exceptions. But that year you would take your baseline test. So I really encourage a baseline test really nobody has to know about that result. It doesn't have to be sent to a school. It can just be information for your family and any test provider that you choose to work with will want that information. But that gives you that that score. Okay, this is where we're starting. I've experienced the test. I do remember that this was problematic. Oh, I had a lot of problems with this. So they can have some memories about things that went bad or good even. So then you would prep once the student has had most of Algebra 2. So let's just say after the winter break or Christmas break, after that, then they've had most of that algebra two. If they're going to seek help or even self prep, I mean, certainly students prep themselves. There are ways to do that. Then that would be the best time because the highest math on both SAT and ACT is algebra two. So when I get a call from from families and the child is the student is in calc, you know, pre calc or you know, college algebra because they've had all the other courses. They could have prepped a couple of years ago, and some of that math, they, they're forgetting or they need to practice again, or they're making math questions too complicated.
1: Excellent. Well, and even then, as I'm thinking about the resources, which will we'll, are, are coming to our final question, believe it or not. But the but the the idea of resources, we got a, an article that you wrote on February, early February, when we're recording this, and gives the five reasons to take specific April and June tests, and much of what you've mentioned is there now. But specifically, what resources are available for students, and, and we want you to tell us uh, tell our listeners about your resources. But where should students go to learn more about uh, how to be very efficient and, and be successful in this test process?
0: Yes. So if if families want to go to my website, which is www.jenhenson, H-E-N-S-O-N, actprep.com. I have blogs that I've written, and that's where you saw the why to take the April and June tests. Blogs that I've written about when should my student test? What are the best months to test? What resources are available? I offer some hints in some of my blogs. What should I pack to take with me to the test? Because there are things that you might not think about to take with you to that test. So there's some information that's always available. You can read them you know, whenever you want. But there's really three types of prep. But You can self-prep. So both companies, College Board and ACT, have books that they have released. Inside of those books are actual tests that they have given in the last few years. A student who is motivated and can use maybe those results in conjunction with getting on YouTube and looking up resources, videos. There are plenty of people who have created videos where they offer explanations for these tests. The resources are out there. So someone could really spend the time maybe even you know get help from their families to understand certain things why did i miss this because that's going to show up again on another test guaranteed people like myself and and i'm part of the national test prep association so we are we are a vetted certified organization where you know we have certain standards that we have to uphold, but we offer group classes. So you can join a group of people where you're learning weekly. I do require homework. Other test prep providers don't. So I think you learn from practice. And then the third way would be one-on-one um, that you can get individual help from somebody such as myself there are lots of great people out there so um, who are just as invested as I am. I care, We care about our students. I care about my students. I want them to help them reach their goals, which is why I came up with the name of my company, The Goal Digger. Because you know there are people that tout certain schools or certain type of schools that they help students get into. And, and for me personally, I just want to help a student with whatever their goal is you know so every family has a different situation every student's at different starting points you know i want to help anyone no matter where what their situation is with getting themselves to the highest that they can.
1: Well, I was going to ask you the origin of the the company name, and you did it there perfectly. So it's a it's a mm-hmm. wonderful way to wrap up our time together. For those of you who are listening, again, that's Jen Henson Actprep.com. I also think it's very useful to know that there is a professional organization, the National Test Prep Association. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So I learned that today that uh, they can go and of which you have to meet certain credentials of which you're a part. And uh, we want our students to be successful and meet their goals, which is why we're doing this podcast. Jen, thank you so much. Much for being a part of this today. It's certainly been instructive to our listeners and we wish you well as you continue to get students ready for their goals and their futures.
0: Thank you so much, it's been
1: fun. Thank you.
0: Be sure to join us next time for the Higher Ed, Higher Purpose podcast.